Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now, channel 525. Welcome to the Michelle Tofoya podcast. I want to read you a tweet in the wake of affirmative action being ostensibly overturned by the Supreme Court. Ian Rowe, who is an educator, entrepreneur, and author of this fantastic book, Agency, we've had him on once before. He tweeted, years from now, black students admitted to top schools will say, thank you, Supreme Court, for a decision that removes the perception the only reason I got in is due to my race. You reestablish merit as the core criterion to be considered against a standard bar of excellence. That tweet that Ian Rowe put out has been seen over a million times and retweeted and retweeted and retweeted. We're going to talk to Ian Rowe about this in moments. Now, it's time for some sanity. It's the Michelle Tafoya podcast. Well, as I said, Ian Rowe is an educator. He's an entrepreneur. He's a very wise man. And a couple of tweets he sent out in the wake of the affirmative action overrule, if you will, by SCOTUS, uh, have been received very widely and retweeted. This one had 6,000 likes, 332 bookmarks, 161 quotes, and it's been seen 909,000 times. Here, let me quote Ian Rowe. If you are concerned, that the decision to end race-based affirmative action will result in fewer black students in college? Consider this. In 2015, 18% of fourth grade black kids read at or above proficient defined by the National Assessment of Educational Progress. That's the nation's report card. In 2019, only 15% of that same cohort, now in eighth grade, read at or above proficient levels. Now, in 2023, it's very likely that less than 20% of that same cohort of black high school seniors is reading at proficient levels. The biggest issue that group faces is not the lack of affirmative action to get into college. It's being ill-prepared before even getting there. That is the truth we have to confront. Stronger families and more school choice have to be part of the story so that our kids can compete on equal footing far before college applications are on the table. I said something similar in a monologue that I gave after the Supreme Court ruling. It's not just about when kids are applying to college. How about getting everyone on an equal footing before then so that we don't need to consider other stuff? So that's something that uh, we're going to talk about here with Ian Rowe. He is a tremendous guest. Can't wait to have him. This will be his second appearance on our show. But first, ladies, look in the mirror. Do you see those dark spots? Well, they're not going away on their own. Introducing the Dark Spot Corrector from Genucel right in time for the summer. The Dark Spot Corrector with not one, but three cutting edge ingredients goes to work fast to target sunspots, dark spots, liver spots, and even liver spots, and even old discoloration, both on your face and your hands. You'll be amazed at how quickly you'll see results. You can now enjoy your summer sun, beach, and barbecues without the embarrassing spots. With Genucel, you'll see results or your money back. 
no questions asked. So go to GenuCell.com right now. Get your dark spot corrector with the new GenuCell most popular package. Now featuring summer essentials like the best-selling ultra retinol moisturizer with a powerful retinol alternative for safe use in the summer sun. Visit GenuCell.com slash Michelle right now for these amazing summer essentials and save over 70% on GenuCell's most popular package. Don't wait. Order GenuCell's most popular package now. Free shipping, free returns, and the best luxury skincare you've ever used, all at 70% off. GenuCell, G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com slash Michelle. GenuCell.com slash Michelle with one L. All orders will include a mystery luxury box while supplies last. GenuCell.com slash M-I-C-H-E-L-E. Ian Rowe, a champion educator, is next. Ian Rowe, it is great to have you back again. The book agency, which I highly recommend, the four-point plan for all children to overcome the victimhood narrative and discover their pathway to power. Um, it's great to see you. And in the wake of the affirmative action decision by the Supreme Court, I told my audience about the tweets that you posted and how they received so much response Yes. Uh, how surprised were you by how often you were retweeted and quoted and bookmarked and all the rest? Well, first of all, thank you for having me on. And, uh, well, you know, this decision is a big one. Uh, it does turn uh, a ruling that's been in place, a practice. Uh, but it's time. It's time. It's actually interesting. Uh, you talked about my tweets. Let me share a tweet that was shared by the First Lady former First Lady Michelle Obama, okay. in response to the decision by the Supreme Court to overturn uh, race-based affirmative action. And this is her response, reflecting on her own experience as a student at Princeton University. And she said, I sometimes wondered if people thought that I got here, Princeton University, because of affirmative action. It was a shadow that students like me could not shake. Whether those doubts came from the outside or the inside, our own minds, end quote. What's interesting about that quote is that a talented person like Michelle Obama, even she had what I often call the grinding self-doubt that so many talented black kids who got into these elite schools had this either self-perception or perception from others, that the only reason you got here was because of your skin color. So one of my tweets said that maybe someday black kids who are accepted at top tier schools will look back at this decision and say, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for making a ruling Supreme Court that removed the perception that the only reason I achieved was because of my skin color. That tweet, I think, has now been seen as well more than a million times. Right. And the, the reaction was quite um, mixed. You know, some people said, right on, I know exactly what you're talking about. And yes, we should be um, recognized for the merit, for the achievement that we made on our own. And others were saying, no, 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 there will still be racism. There will still be discrimination. And so the, the tweet, you know, landed in a place that showed, I think, the real divide of how people proceed. But I think on the whole, the Supreme Court made a decision that 
justifiably says race should not be a singular characteristic or provide an inherent advantage or disadvantage right. for students. Right. And and they went out of their way, SCOTUS did, to say, look, you can bring race into your narrative. Like if you're writing an essay and you want to talk about how you overcome what you perceived uh, as as racism or challenges because you're a person of color or because you're female or whatever it is, go ahead and include that in your essay. Um, there will be ways, I'm sure, that all these universities will work <laughs> at to try to, to make sure that they have a, a diverse population. But absolutely, you want to be put in school um, because of your merit. Look at these two schools that were considered here, Harvard and North Carolina, both very, very, very good schools, fine schools. Uh, you know, not everyone has to go to Harvard or North <laughs> Carolina in right. order to get a, a an exceptional education. So I, I have a little bit of a problem with people thinking that um, in the only way to achieve that is through affirmative action. I just don't think that's true. And then, of course, there was the I almost hate to bring it up, Ian, but the, the reaction by Whoopi Goldberg on The View when she said, now what, are they going to stop women from going to school? I mean, she almost looked at this as a ban, you know, which is the furthest thing from the truth. So well, these well, she, And she knows that to be true. You know, if you actually look at the two cases, look at the Harvard case, it's actually quite compelling. I think most people responding to this decision actually haven't looked at the actual data. In Correct. the case of Harvard nearly two-thirds of the black students that have been admitted to Harvard are typically students who are upper middle class, who've had great educations, oftentimes are immigrants from West African nations or the Caribbean. I don't think that the, the crafters of affirmative action uh, had those students in mind. These are highly privileged students. In some ways, race-based affirmative action is actually a privilege for privileged upper middle class mm. black kids. Mm, and so I've actually often been an advocate, whoops, <laughs> I've often been an advocate for if, if there have to be preferences, there should be preferences based on economic class. Mm. You no, know, I think most Americans can get behind the idea that if you're from a low income background and you're high achieving, then you should have a leg up. That's what I think uh, most Americans believe. This idea of this narrative that Whoopi Goldberg and others are pushing, that somehow this means all black kids are now banned, first of all, doesn't show very much confidence in black kids, right? Because at the core of what she's saying, she doesn't believe that our students can, can succeed. And that is just a lie. And yeah. it's a, it's, it's just, it's just a, it's a false narrative. I, I agree with that completely. And it is a lie. Now you mentioned in one of the tweets that we read, the disintegrating scores, you know, math and reading proficiencies just dropping like a stone. And in these inner city schools and, and schools where, as you mentioned, lower income students are not being well served. It's yeah. it's it's a shame. I, I feel embarrassed for our country that we have not given these students what they need to learn to read, write, do math, do some science that we have started to focus maybe on other things. I don't know. But the fact that we're moving kids along in school without them being able to read is a disgrace to me. And I I'm just not sure how or why this is happening. But to me, <laughs> there's the bigger problem than Correct. whether or not you give a kid a leg up going into college. Why aren't we preparing them? 
well, that if of all of all the things that come out of this case, hopefully that revelation that the issue isn't the lack of race based affirmative action, particularly for black kids. It's because the K-12 system with kids coming out are not prepared. The second tweet that I made, as you shared, just got straight data from the National Center for Educational Statistics, you know, often known as the nation's report card. Yeah. And as it turns out, in the year 2015, of black fourth graders, only 18% were reading at grade proficiency levels, 18%. That's less than one in five for, for people who right. don't want to do the quick math. That's if you have five kids in a room, maybe one of them can read proficiently. Correct. And that um, if you take and the same analysis they did, the, they showed for that same cohort four years later in 2019. So now they're at eighth grade. Well, guess what? Only 15 percent. We're reading at grade proficient level. So, so the percent actually reduced. And so now it's 2023. Again, taking that same cohort. Now they're graduating high school seniors because of this practice of what's called social promotion. Kids being promoted to from one grade to the next, even though they have not yet mastered the grade level material. As a result of that practice all across the country, it's very likely that less than 20% of that same cohort is now coming out of high school. That's who would be applying. The issue is not, oh no, race-based affirmative action does not exist. It's that these kids are ill-prepared. Yeah. I run schools in the Bronx, you know, public charter schools in the Bronx. And my goal is to have kids emerge from our system and we want an entire public education system where kids have earned the opportunities that are now coming they, their way. They know that they can compete on an equal playing field. Let's exactly. have that discussion. Yeah, not let them walk into a, a testing room or, or any other environment thinking, I am already behind, I don't know how I'm gonna overcome this, but making them feel so confident and on such solid ground with their reading and their math skills that they know they got as good a shot as anybody in the room, no matter how tall, what skin color, what gender, I, you know, you well, mentioned the, well, go ahead. I was going to say one, one, uh, an additional piece of data is that each year the college board um, publishes the actual scores on the SAT and the, the top, the, the, the top tier schools like Harvard, UNC, in order to be considered for admission, you have to get somewhere between a 1400 and a 1600 score on the 1600 being the perfect score, right? Correct. Exactly. So 1400 to 1600. Well, in the year 2021, there were about 170,000 black students that took the SAT. Only 1% of those students received between a 1400 and 1600 score. That's what we need to be talking about. Yeah, yeah. And then, by the way, those students are going to be able to get into Harvard and the UNCs. They will continue. The, the top black students in the country will still be getting into the top universities. Right. The fundamental right. issue is that we have too many students, by the way, of all races. It's still the case that less than 40 percent of all American students are reading at grade level based on the nation's report card. So hopefully this. Um, ruling not only removes the, the unconstitutionality of race-based affirmative action, 
but squarely focuses our attention on a K-12 system that is not serving our students well. And hopefully not the lowering of the standards so that we can have more kids surpass the standards. Please, no, no lowering of the standards. We have the standards. We know where kids should be in terms of their reading and they're not getting there. And that's, uh, that is on the school system. No question. You mentioned your charter schools in the Bronx. I know there has been some clashing of ideas in New York City and the boroughs between the, the, whether it's the governor or Mayor Adams or uh, about, um, schools like charter schools and magnet schools and private yes. schools and all these different schools that ki- the parents really want their kids to get into yes. as you're running them. What, what, what do you see as the, the biggest issues for keeping your schools up and running with the ideas and the values that you have? Well, fundamentally uh, for most middle and upper class uh, people in the United States, they have something very simple and that is access to a great school that they choose for their child. They can move to a wonderful neighborhood, move to the suburbs, send their kids to a private school. And that's wonderful. Everyone should have that. The problem is the vast majority of low-income kids across the country don't have access to great schools. In the district where we just launched Vertex Partnership Academies in the Bronx, of all the kids that start ninth grade, so in 2015, of all the kids that started ninth grade, Four years later, only 7% graduated from high school ready for college, 7%. That means 93% started ninth grade and either dropped out along the way, or they actually did receive a high school diploma, but still could not do math nor reading without remediation. And this is a location where there is a cap on charter schools. So if you had a great idea to launch a school There literally is a legislative barrier. You could not do it. This is the problem. And Governor Hochul, governor of New York, actually had the audacious idea earlier this year when she released her draft state budget to eliminate the cap so that education entrepreneurs like me or other people who had great ideas to launch schools for the most vulnerable children, she said, I'm going to eliminate the cap. Well, guess what? Literally the next day, all the political elected officials in the in the uh, state Senate and Assembly, they came together and, and unfortunately, mostly Democrat, said, we cannot do that. That will ruin public education. So we are going to oppose this effort. So Governor Hochul basically had to shelve that entire idea. And so once again, there's outrage over why don't we have race-based affirmative action at the college level? when we're impeding the ability of young people to get access to a great education so that they can compete on an equal playing field. And that is what I'm hoping to uh, put a lot of attention on. That's where our our focus should be. Well, the natural question is why did all these Democratic, uh, Democrat politicians respond the way they did to Governor Kathy Hochul's proposed removal of the cap? And you have to I don't think there's any way around it. It's about the teachers unions and the amount of money that they give to these candidates. And they have this sort of control over yeah. these candidates. We're only going to fund you if, you know, yeah. and, and and instead of really raising the standards at these public, many people now calling them government schools, it, they, they just don't want any competition to force them to do that. I, I 
it's 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 a little baffling to me when people don't want to compete. When people yeah. don't want to say, go for it, bring in as many chartered schools as you want, because we're going to outperform them anyway. You know, I I, um, I interviewed Shelby Steele, the great author <laughs> of, uh, last year, you know, the author of Content of Our Character, great book. Yes. And he made a comment to me about the black community or leaders um, who, who claim to represent the black community. And he said, uh, the biggest issue we face is not racism. It's actually freedom, freedom to compete. Like there is this aversion to saying, okay, great. You've leveled the playing field. Now create the opportunities so that look, we, we seem to be okay with it on other aspects in sports and other areas. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to education, you know, my students want the dignity. They want the dignity of achievement. They want the dignity to be able to say, no, 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 I can do this work. Just let me have the opportunity. Don't yes. shackle me, a different kind of shackling, right? Don't shackle mm -hmm. me to go to schools where only 7% of kids graduate from high school ready for college. Why don't you have the confidence? Why does Whoopi Goldberg say, oh, now it means what are they going to ban uh, women? Why are you putting forth a narrative that if left to my own devices, I don't have the ability to succeed? And that's the narrative that I think is so destructive. What do you think the answer to that is? You just asked a really important question. Why don't you think I can do this? Why do you continue on with this victimhood narrative that, that you know, these kids can't achieve on their own and reach, you know, for the highest standards on their yeah. own two feet? Why do you suppose that narrative continues to exist? Here we are in 2023 for crying out loud. It's an excellent question. And the only answer I can come to is that there is power in victimhood. Mm -hmm. There is power in oppression. Yeah. So, uh, uh, you know, whether it's Whoopi Goldberg or her host colleague, I think Sunny Hostin, you know, she mm -hmm. had um, Senator Tim Scott on maybe a month ago Saw, because yeah. he, had, he had talked about the fact that, yes, America's had a history of oppression, but with the right supports, a black kid can compete just like anyone else. And I think Joy Behar said, you don't even know what it's like to be a black man. You know, you and Clarence, you know, here she's telling him um, how it's. And so he went on the show. He went yeah. on the show. And yeah. of course, Joy Behar decided not to show up. But he was interviewed by Sonny Hostin. And here he is saying, look, here's the progress we've made as a as a black community on economics and politics, all these other areas. And Sonny Hostin kept saying, no, 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 but you're an exception. You're an exception. You're an exception. Discounting, just discounting the progress that the black community has made. So there's just, there's this sense that if we acknowledge any kind of progress, we can no longer have the narrative of black people are oppressed in this society. Right. And, in, and America is an inherently racist nation. And unfortunately, there are those who, who trade on that. Yes. Their relevance and their power. Yeah, I, that's a really interesting word you just used. They trade on that because, you know, a lot of people talk about the grievance industry. But if you can prove that you are oppressed in some way, shape or form, that you are this tiny little slice of a, a, a fringe minority and therefore you have been oppressed by whatever the majority of society, then then you get like boosted up into this, Correct. you know, position of 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 fame 
in some yeah. cases. Uh, yes. You know, you can ask for things and have them given to you. And pure innocence. You and you don't want to have, respons- have responsibility. And this actually, right. is, this is one of the risks coming out of this affirmative action decision. And we're starting to see it. So the Biden administration ha- uh, has put out a, a, a directive to all colleges and universities that basically say, this is what the message that the administration want colleges and universities to now really look at when it comes to college applications. And they say it explicitly, they're putting in the context of what they call an adversity score for colleges and universities to elevate, um, uh, elevate the challenges that you faced as an applicant over everything else. So what it's suddenly starting to do, we want to valorize victimhood over achievement. Valorize victimhood. That's what the message from the administration to colleges and universities. We want, we want you to encourage every kid to basically to enter what I call the oppression Olympics (laughs) to, to, you know, how much your struggle has been. And it's not that we don't want to reward kids that overcome adversity. Certainly. Absolutely. But when it comes to what is it, you know, because nowhere in this directive does it say anything about merit, right? And whatever your accomplishments. And so it's just a very subtle but important difference. I run schools not because I want my kids to be proud of their victimization. Mm-hmm. I want them to be proud of their accomplishments and their achievements. And it's a very important difference. Extremely important difference. And, and that, that notion of, you know, coming up with a score based on the adversity you've overcome. I mean, my gosh, we could go and pick through your whole life and say, remember that time when you were three and that kid pushed you? Oh, put that one down. And that'll be a, a two points. You know, I, that, that is kind of sickening. I mean, we are about in this country, uh, America is about overcoming. And, you know, as Joy Behar said, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. And she wants, she doesn't think that's a positive message because it ignores systemic racism. Well, I, I personally, um, you know, when I went into my field in sports broadcasting, Ian, and I use this as an example only because I remember very clearly my mindset. It was very early on for women when I started mm-hmm. and people were like, Ooh, what are you going to do? How are you going to, are you going to go in the locker rooms? All these things. And I said, you know, I'm not going to think of myself as this, this woman in a man's world. I'm going to think of myself as a reporter in a reporter's world. And I'm going to go compete with every other reporter. I don't care what they look like or where they came from or anything else. I'm going to go compete my ass off against those people. Excuse my language. And, and that's how I'm going to excel. Yep. Yep. So why would you give the other message? Why would that other message be preferable with what you just said is the perfect example. You add this, you know, what did you say? Victimhood, valor, valor of victimhood. You valorize, valorize victimhood, valorize victimhood over achievement. And, you know, the last thing I want our students to believe is that simply because of their skin color, I'm, I'm more inherently a victim than anyone else. And by the way, and so therefore I'm entitled to more. Right. Yeah. That, that it is literally that mindset that is so corrosive. Yes. 
Oh, I'm so grateful that you do the things that you do, Ian. And, you know, we had Wilfred Riley, the professor out of Western Kentucky State. Is that right? Western Kentucky State? Yes, 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 yes. Yes. He's he's wonderful. He was on with us uh, recently and he had told us that he was going to do some some work with you. And I understand that you two did a radio show on the 4th of July on Independence Day together. Yes. Um, Two really well-educated, wise smart, uh, are just amazing to me, black men. And you talked about what it means to be an American. What was the gist of your message? Well, ironically, I had gone to a baseball game the night before with my son. And it was just such an amazing experience because during the game, you know, there was a, a performance of God Bless America where the entire crowd is singing, you know, God bless America. It's one of these very patriotic moments. But in sounding the words, and and by the way, an incredibly diverse uh, population. Uh, This is at City Field uh, in New York and Queens. And so there's just a moment you realize, you know, we live in a great country and a country that still very much is unique in the world, you know, that started with an idea, this sort of birth of freedom that is is the connection point are the principles that keep us together, the principles around free enterprise and family and faith and hard work and entrepreneurship and dignity as an individual, respect for others, citizenship. These words mean something. And so Will and I talked about that and that those are the things that bring us together that are stronger that create greater bonds than the things that that um, make us different. And um, I just think we as Americans need to remind ourselves of those things. And, you know, the Supreme Court decision, I think for some people, they think, we're, well, no, no, this idea is bringing us backwards. Well, actually, it's leveling the playing field so that we can all know that we're, we're human beings first. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. We're Americans and Americans with dignity and the opportunity and responsibility to lead your lives as individuals and to be assessed as individuals, not just some members of marginalized or privileged or underprivileged groups. And that's what we got to fight for. Um, And so those are the kinds of things that we uh, that we talked about. You know, you mentioned marginalized groups and, and we've talked about this identity politics and, and, and the victimhood. And it seems to me the more that that is paid off for some groups, the more that other groups go, hey, how can I be marginalized? I know brunettes wearing orange shirts. You know, we just don't get paid the same as blondes wearing turquoise shirts. That's just a fact. Now, I'm not trying to belittle marginalized groups because we all know that there are some. We do know that. And we, as you said, everyone needs to take responsibility and respect one another. Responsibility is a key word there, too. That's hard for some people to to want to grab onto and really, you know, be responsible for is their own lives. And so they, they like to sort of lean on the handouts. But the other word that you mentioned, I just want to get to is faith. Um, you know, I was raised Catholic. I'm no longer consider myself part of the Catholic church, was married in an Episcopal church. My kids were baptized Lutheran, but faith, we've seen it on the decline. 
Um, is it yeah. making a resurgence? Do we see like these, the success of these shows, like the chosen and, and that whole angel network and, and mm. are, are people trying to grasp it back? Because it, it, I really do see it as something that was, yeah, was a uniter. Well, it's a uniter and central to the development of this country and usually central to the concept of human flourishing. And, you know, the numbers are not encouraging. I mean, the religiosity is on the decline. However, particularly in young people, the, the data is powerful. that says that young people who have a personal faith commitment in their lives, much lower levels of depression, of isolation, of loneliness, uh, uh, much greater levels of happiness, joy, stronger relationships, because you're typically part of a community of people yes. that love you, that support you. Um, so I am a big proponent of engaging young people to understand of what a personal faith commitment could mean in your own uh, life. So it's something we have to advocate for um, because, um, you know, religious institutions, uh, maybe because of the fault of, of humans, um, is, is sometimes uh, attacked yeah. and, and the, 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 the principles of faith should be the things that endure. And so, you know, faith um, continues to be obviously a big part of our lives, you know, in my own life, but it's something that we want to help young people, not necessarily proselytize right. on a particular religion, but to understand what it could mean in your own life. Well, you always give me faith uh, that we're, we're <laughs> we've got wisdom and um, commitment and the right values on the line here in the United States. Ian, it's always so good to see you and to talk to you again. I want to encourage people to get the book. It's called Agency. It's so important. And uh, follow him on Twitter. He's a great follow. Obviously, a lot of people are following him. Ian Rowe. And it's uh, it's at Ian V like Victor Rowe, R-O-W-E. So follow yes. him on Twitter. And thank you so much for being with us again, Ian. Oh, no, thank you. And, you know, I, I, you know, I just want to leave on an optimistic note. You know, we, we live in a great country with great opportunity. And, you know, I run schools in the Bronx and, you know, these are low-income communities um, and there are challenges. But I've never had a situation where parents come to me and say, Please, Mr. Rowe, please ensure that you teach our kids how oppressed they are and how much the system is rigged against them. Our young people want to understand the strategies for success, the strategies for leading the lives that they choose. That's what this country is about. And that's, you know, that's why I remain hopeful. And I think we can build schools and build institutions that bring that mindset to the rising generation. Well, amen to that. I, I, and I wish you well. Godspeed with all of your endeavors. Uh, so admire you, Ian. Again, folks, he is Ian Rowe at Ian V. Rowe, R-O-W-E on Twitter. The book is Agency. As always, thanks for listening and be brave, do good. We'll see you next be time. Be brave, do good. Excellent. <laughs>